Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome to Bear Lake. <laughs> we have been on the road between Salt Lake and Bear Lake this week and we are here it is absolutely gorgeous, and the lake is filling up. Any of you who've never visited Bear Lake, now we're not talking about Big Bear Lake, which is a lake in Northern California. We're talking about Bear Lake on the border of Utah and Idaho, kind of an undiscovered place for most of the world, but a gorgeous lake, 20 miles long, five miles wide. Very near to where Linda grew up in Montpelier, Idaho. And dare we say, the place we've spent our summers since 1979. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, all of you who are saying, wow, that's before I was born. That's okay. <laughs> Keep on listening because we're going to talk a little about Bear Lake and about families and about gathering families together, but mainly today, we're going to talk, I'm going to embarrass Linda. Linda's, by the end of this show, she's going to just be red in the face because oh, we're going on, to talk honey. about a project that Linda has taken on. I don't think there's one person in a million that would <laughs> do what you've done, Linda. I'm just going to introduce it and, and see how embarrassed you are, and then you pick up the pieces because you know the details. So Linda, when she was growing up in this beautiful valley, um, had a friend whose name was Eve Rain. Right. And she was part of what Linda now calls the gang sisters. They had a gang. I'm not going to get into the detail. I'll leave that to <laughs> you, Linda. But Eve was a wonderful friend, a lifetime friend. And the sad part of the story is that Eve, Eve died and passed on last year, and Eve was a writer and tried, wrote poetry and wrote other things, but lived in this small mountain community and didn't have very much exposure for the things she'd written and done, even though they were really well done. And so, not to be too, too dramatic, Linda, but on her deathbed, she told Linda, or Linda asked her, of all the things you've written, which one would you most like to see published? And Eve mentioned a story, a beautiful story, a full-length book that she had done that was basically her personal favorite. And a couple of days later, she passed on. And Linda has been on a campaign, that's the only word I can think of it, to get this book published posthumously for her friend Eve. Now, take it from there. Now oh, that that kind of tells the whole story. No, no, the uh, whole story is the miracles. Well, it just is has been pretty amazing to work with this. I we do have uh, we had a group of friends in high school and we never dated. We weren't popular. <laughs> And so we That's just, hard for me to we, believe. we hung out with each other on weekends and had so much fun and we just became kind of like sisters. And so we started calling ourselves recently, we, we were gang, the gang in high school, but as gang sisters, we really love each other. And um, 
Actually, it's pretty amazing. Eve is a gifted writer. She had a poetry group that she did in Bennington, Idaho, where she was from. But she grew up on a sheep ranch in Bennington with, uh, she was the middle of 10 children, 10 children. And during the pandemic, she, uh, I, I have to preface this by saying she'd had such a hard life. She had so many hard things happen to her with her family, her as she cared for her husband for a long time, who his whose health was just so fragile. And her children um, have had health issues. One of her families had um, kidney issues and their her oldest granddaughter at 13 passed away. And there were some huge issues. The mother also, they're all waiting for kidney transplants. And she fought cancer, um, five or six years ago and thought that she had uh, mastered that. And, but she had, she had such a wonderful sense of humor. And during the pandemic, she just got up every morning at her little home in Bennington and got sat at her computer and wrote a book, wrote not only one book, five books. Um, but the, um, the one that she loved the most was the one about her family. It was an autobiography, autobiographical, and she really well, it's fiction, but it's kind of it, modeled after. Yeah, it's a fiction story, family and after the unique and sort of lost kind of youth that she had growing up on a on a ranch in the mountains. I mean, it's just it almost sounds unreal to us today, but it is the reality of her life. Well. She um, actually didn't really even know how to do, she'd written a lot of things on her computer, but she didn't know how to do a book. So she actually formatted every single page of the book. Yeah. And then she went into the little town of Montpelier to the newspaper office and copied it one page at a time. Well, it's a, mar it's a marvelous story. And we want to get more into the story and how you can access that story. But before we do, Linda, I just... You're too self-depreciating. I want you to talk a little about how you took this upon yourself as a cause, because honestly, you have devoted yourself to getting this book published, and it's coming out now. It's that you've got a copy now, the advanced copy, and the, it'll be released it's this on week. Amazon. It's, it's on already Amazon. on Amazon. But I want you to talk a little about how you picked up this cause and, and why you decided to do this. Because honestly, I'm going to tell you listeners this, Linda has spent more time on this book of her dear <laughs> departed friend than she has on any of her own books that she's written. And I think that's pretty marvelous and pretty indicative of the kind of person you are. Well, this was something that was just her dream. And we'd talked about it for a year. We'd sent it to a publisher who I knew must have local roots because they had just published a book called Christmas in Montpelier by Ross Peterson, who's a well-known um, personality from Montpelier and done many things, great things in the world. And so I thought this, these people must have some connection. To well, Montpelier. but again, in context, this is, this is, you started doing this basically on the day Eve died. And it's now been about a year that you've been working on it to make this dream of hers come true. Well, that's right. But there have been so many little right. miracles, connections that we didn't expect on the way through. So we found the publisher, which was uh, 
an incredible publisher has done some wonderful biographies. And it turns out that the owner of the uh, the company, it was Richard's <laughs> personal assistant and wonderful helper when he was the director of the White House Conference uh, on Families and Children in Washington, D.C. in the 80s. Now, that is just strange. And then also her husband, she is married to Lee Roderick, who is a, a local um, personality who was born and raised here and then was the student body president at Montpelier High School and then went on at Utah, Utah State University to be the president and then is now the president of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Not oh, now, but was, you know, yeah. previously. So uh, all these things started falling together. I'm thinking, wow, this is just meant to be. And every corner, everywhere we've turned has been another little miracle. And we're thinking, this is her dream come true. I mean, this is amazing. It just was meant to be. Belinda, you're, you're, I mean, this is typical. You're talking about all these little miracles, but the real miracle is you. And I want you to talk a little about why you decided to make this your cause and to really go after it. And the reason it's happened is there are a lot of little miracles, but it's mainly because you decided this book was going to get published for your departed friend. Well, just because it's so good. I mean, it's really too good to be put in a drawer and put away. She um, is a magical writer and has, is so amazing how she could keep herself. She tells this story through the eyes of a seven-year-old when she was seven years old growing up on this ranch. And she stays in voice the whole book, which is just <laughs> astonishing. And I think it's something that really everybody, it's a great a read loud book with grandkids. It's a great read for us because it took us back to memory lane in our ch childhoods, although we may be a, <clears throat> a generation older than some of our listeners, but it is a place in history that everybody should know about. It's kind of overlooked of these hardworking families who made a difference and not only their own families, but in the um, the economy of the U.S. I mean, they sent 400 sheep to market every year. And she had an imaginary friend, this little Evie in the book. Um, she had an imaginary friend who was uh, the sheep herder of her own herd. You know how children are at that age. They have these wonderful imaginations. And he shows up throughout the book. It is just a delightful story. Well, and in the second half, after we take a break, we got another four or five minutes. And then after the break, we're going to we're gonna give you a little synopsis of the book and the story. The name of the book is My, My Seventh, Seventh Summer. Summer. And I'm, I'm excited to talk a little about that because I've read it and I think it's really remarkable. But what I'm hearing you saying or trying sort of not to say, Linda, is that I think you're saying there there were two reasons that you decided to devote a really large percentage of your life for the last year to getting this book published. <laughs> oh, it's not and a I, large percentage. Well, no, it is. You're. I think. I think. It just seems like that I, to you because <laughs> I don't always have dinner ready for you. <laughs> Wait, I do the dinner. Yes, I'm no, the yeah, one that actually, does you have been feeding me <laughs> breakfast and dinner. But I, I, what I hear you saying is really. Correct me or expand on this if I'm wrong or if I'm missing it, but sort of the two things that motivated you to find a publisher, to do the editing, most of which you did, your, a lot of which you did. Your no, 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 Lee Roger did the no, editing. No, but you're the one that really got it going. And I think 
I think the two reasons are, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but one, you did this to honor your friend who died young, I mean, relatively young, before she should have, and who'd never, despite her lifetime of writing, never had anything published. And you decided that was what you were going to do for your departed friend. And number two, I think you just felt, as I do, that it was really a great story and that it ought to be told and it ought to get out to the world, so to speak. Well, there's credit due in so many places because I was visiting her the last, she was diagnosed last summer in July, about a year ago, uh, with stage four stomach cancer, I think, which had then was spread. She was oh, sick for a long time and not telling anyone. So they um, ambulanced her to the nearest big town in Pocatello, Idaho, and they just diagnosed her with this. And by the end of the summer, it was certain that this is what it was and there was no hope and she just had a few weeks to live. So I spent every weekend with her because we come to Bear Lake every weekend um, with her in the hospital and then in her home surrounded by these beautiful children and grandchildren who love her her so much. But was it that last visit just a day or two before or the week before she died that, that you asked her of all the things she'd written, which one she wanted? Yeah. I asked her a couple of weeks before, and then we had sent this manuscript actually um, to the publisher, Yvonne Maddox. And she said before, yeah, we'd sent it a year before, but we just hadn't heard back. They were busy with another project. And so on, they said, we'll get back to you. This this had been your cause for a long time. Right. Really focused when she, when she passed. And then I just called Yvonne and told her the situation, you know, this, she's about to leave. And amazingly, she said, Lee's, brother is in the same situation he's going to pass any day and with a great heart she just said took a deep breath and said we'll do it we'll publish it so let's take a brief break and when we come back we're going to tell you a little more about the second reason linda had for taking this on as a cause and that is the book really contains some great things and some things that are related to what we always talk about to family and to relationships and to responsibility and to working together and so it's it's a it's an entertaining novel and a mystery a really good a mystery, really fun mystery but yeah. it is also a book that fits in with our overall mission statement to help and strengthen families so stay with us and we'll be right back and tell you a little more about the book the seventh summer Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about something Linda's a little embarrassed because I keep giving her, you know. Honey, we did not talk about this before we started. Well, I just think you need, people need to know that you are a great great friend. You are a great friend. So, um, Anyway, let's talk a little about the, the I said the first reason, I'm summarizing what you'd said, you were devoted to your friend and her death wish was to have this book published and you made it happen along with the help from a lot of people, as you say. And the second reason is it's a good book. It's a book people should read. 
I'm just going to say one little thing. I said, I, I wrote a little blurb for the book that says this in essence. Most people in America or in the world for that matter can only imagine what it would be like to grow up in a completely rural setting on a sheep ranch in the mountains of Idaho. It's almost like something that you would imagine happening a hundred years ago or 200 years ago, the, the lifestyle of a family farm of the complete freedom of going where you want and doing what you want on your horse or into the mountains and so on. And the responsibility at a young age of helping with the farm and so on. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a kind of, I always like books. I've always felt this way that my favorite kind of novel is a book that takes me to a place I've never been and, and makes me think in a way I've never thought before and puts me in a setting that I will never be in in actual life, but that I want to imagine and I want to try to understand. And that's what this book does. It's, it's um, you know, it's, it's marvelous in the sense that it transports you to another time, another place, another way of life, a way of life that is so far from how most of us live today, um, they they were lucky to have a telephone. I mean, there was no the, the 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 way they communicated was personally and on the farm well, and with other people. The way they communicated was around the dinner table. Yes, it right. was pretty amazing. Every night they gathered, and that dear mother. Oh my goodness, she is so. Lula and Bill were the parents, and they were so wonderful, and just mama and daddy in the whole uh, book, but they were just remarkable. The work was so hard, and and Eve, Evie was a little tomboy. She was off having fun with her siblings, with the animals, and with her imaginary friend, Sam, but it is really fun to see that through her eyes and to remember our childhood. I remember so many things from my childhood. That's one reason yeah, I, I got hooked on this you. because yeah. so many things were the same, bringing in little quote unquote bum lambs in the winter whose mothers had died. And we had that, we had a little uh, stove that we gathered around and fed those little uh, sweet little soft baby lambs with bottles of milk three times a day. And um, just those sweet experiences that are so rare now for our children to experience. But even to think about it is such a wonderful thing. So, so imagine a, a, a novel, which is based on Eve's own childhood and growing up and so on, autobiographical in that sense, but which includes some really remarkable elements of fiction, including bank robbers and <laughs> a, a mystery about who did something. I don't want to, I don't want to be a spoiler and give away, any other, but a remarkable story about solving a mystery and, and homeless people and helping people and, all the things that go with living in the mountains, it's just really remarkable. But quite a story in the sense that it involves at every turn values of loyalty and of responsibility and of honesty and of staying true to what you believe and of trying to figure this out. And the remarkable device, as a, as a writer, I'm impressed with the fact that she was able to tell this story through the eyes of a seven-year-old, but a very bright, precocious seven-year-old who noticed things 
and and saw details and figured things out, but also who had this imaginary friend. And, you know, I had an imaginary friend when I was a little boy. I think a lot of us did. But in, in this case, the imaginary friend became almost her guide or her her consolation, her security. Yeah, he was her consultant. You know, she would go out in the backyard and she'd had a bad, bad day and he'd show up and she'd have a talk with him. I can't believe the number of people that we've told about this that they said, I had an imaginary. Friend. Yeah, it's right. I mean, it's so helpful to, to have somebody to talk through with this big family. And she mentioned to me once when she was in the bed, you know, she said, maybe it was my outlet because there were so many kids. I was always wishing for a little more time with my dad. And, and it really was fun to think about, wow, what you, what you can do with your imagination to make life better. It just really was fun to read. Yeah. So it really is the perfect mix of real experience and fiction and imagination and mystery and so we, and I, I think, Linda, I don't know how you feel about, I mean, it could, it's a book that could be read anytime. It's certainly a book that appeals to all ages. We, we're, we are going to read parts of it, at least, to our grandchildren, because some of the stories in oh, really appeal. I'm going to read to my grandchildren. Yeah, they would love really, that. It really appeals to kids. But, it, but as you mentioned earlier, it really appeals to adults and even older adults who will see little traces and elements of their own, even if they didn't grow up on a, on a farm in Idaho on a sheep ranch, they'll remember little things from their youth that correspond to the book. And, and, and like I said earlier, it's really a, a family story, which makes it pretty fun to have around. And what I was going to say is I always look for reading in the summer that's kind of light and kind of fun and sort of transports me. And this, this book certainly does that. Yeah. And I love books that leave something with you after you've finished it. You know, you, those memories of what you go through as you read something like that really does stay with you. And I think it's inspiring because you think, Oh, you know, we should do our, our lives are so different now. We're, it, we live in such a different world. We uh, were just laughing because we were talking about we we finally got everybody on email, which our parents would never have imagined in their wildest dreams that could happen, that we could have email. And now everybody's saying, well, I don't even look at my email. Uh, you have to send me a text. And so and now and now they're like, I don't text anymore. And now I don't text Snapchat. anymore. I'm just on Snapchat. <laughs> and also there are apps. There are so many apps in, in, in our uh, women's group, our release city group. Uh, in our little area, in our ward, we've found that we're trying to get people on an app because it can send you messages without having, without having to go look for it. It is amazing what has happened in this world during our lifetime. Well, and that is the virtue of this book, is that it takes us, even though it's only 50 years ago, it's, it's a completely different time with a completely different mentality. Uh, you may, you remind me, Linda, of how interesting it is that, um, you know, many of you know us, you know Linda and Richard Iyer through Joy School, through our curriculum of um, preschool curriculum that, that really focuses on social-emotional learning. If you've never heard of Joy School, you ought to go to Joy Schools with an S, joyschools.com. But most of you have heard of it. It's reached 
over half a million families have done joy school with their preschoolers. But what I was thinking is we're now getting inquiries, and this ties right back into what you were saying about Eve's book. We're getting inquiries from school districts and other educational things that are saying, you know, we're looking for material to use in preschool education, which is mandatory or becoming universal now in some states. And we're, we have a mandate from our legislature, from our state government, from our board of education, that at least 20% of our instructional materials need to be non-screen time, need to be non-electronic, need to be social-emotional learning, tactile, things that don't involve electronics or the internet or screens of any kind. And the the and among parents, the, the worry about screen time just gets greater and greater every year. And so they're saying, how about this Joy School curriculum that you've got, which is no screen time, and it is just stories, games, songs, things you actually do with your body, with your voice, with your group. And that's what we want because all the stuff being developed today involves more screen time, which we don't want our kids to have. So <clears throat> while you were talking, I was just thinking how, boy, uh, a book that now shows you what life was like before there were any screens, <laughs> okay. except maybe a little sort of semi-round screen, black and white on somebody's TV that they had if they were really advanced. Yeah, I remember <laughs> our first one. Absolutely. Um, it really is the the byword now is social emotional learning. And we had no idea that's what we were writing about. I mean, when you teach children joys, it's the joy of service, the joy of making little goals, the joy of friendships. You know, there's so many little joys in life that we miss. And I think this just is a personification of those little joys yeah, that used really to be, is. but we can still capture it. Now. Maybe that's why it appeals so much to us. It really is it's, it's sort of an adjunct to joy school. It's kind of everyone that's done joy school ought to also read Eve's book because it's about the very joys that we, we talk about in the curriculum. Right. In fact, I'm glad we're making that connection because it is summertime and that is the time most parents start thinking about what am I going to do for my kids next year? And if you, if you have preschoolers, we do invite you to look at joyschools with the nas.com because we think that the summertime's a time to sort of think about what am I going to do with and for my kids during this coming school year. And um, I'll tell you an interesting thing, and you and I haven't even talked much about this, Linda, but I was with a, a education specialist the other day that I respect. And I was saying, you know, our joy schools, there are some commercial joy schools where, where there are professional teachers and so on for preschoolers. But by and large, joy schools has been a phenomenon of moms, a group of moms, and some cases dads, getting together and essentially deciding to hold rotate as teachers and, and have a joy school in their community, in their neighborhood. And hear about 
maybe, I don't know, five to seven years ago, we started seeing a decline in that. And more and more moms were saying, you know, I just don't have time. If I'm going to have my kid in a preschool, I, I can't be one of the teachers. I, I just need to find a good commercial preschool and send them to it. But this person I was talking to the other day said, that pendulum's swinging back now. There are more and more moms and dads who want to be involved in that preschool social-emotional learning. And many of them are homeschoolers. They they want to do it all the way through. But but the majority of us who send our kids to public school and whatever still want something for these preschoolers. And he said, I think Joy School, especially now that it's all online and all the methods, all the all the songs, all the games, all the stories are so easily accessible. I think you're going to see a resurgence of interest in joy schools. So we hope that happens. And maybe Eve's book will somehow tie into that. Well, it's a joy to read, I have to say. But I mean, if if you want to, if you're a grandparent and want to trip through, <clears throat> back through your childhood, and so in many ways it captures that. I mean, if you've done 4-H, a 4-H project, there, there is the... most fun story about her brother raising a little lamb and adoring that lamb and then getting to the fair. There's a lot about the fair, the way it is in these local communities. And then suddenly realizing that his best friend was going to be sold and uh, for meat. I mean, (laughs) in the end, (laughs) I mean, I don't know if he actually thought of that, but (laughs) it's just heart wrenching to, to hear, to read that sweet, sweet story. And I used to make my clothes. I made a dress for 4-H and I got a blue ribbon on it and I made some banana bread. Maybe that's the reason people will read this book to learn about Linda Iyer's childhood. (laughs) (laughs) There's great curiosity about that. Of course there is. Of course. (laughs) Well, well, we're out of time, but, but you know, maybe the two take-home value things today would be, number one, go to Amazon and just search what? My, my Seventh, seventh summer. summer. We'll put my that in the show summer. notes so we'll you can know it. But My Seventh Summer, it is really, I mean, just those three words are, you'll run into some magic reading about that, yeah, that yeah. wonderful person. And the, and the second one would be, if you have time, take a look at joyschools.com. That'll keep you busy, (laughs) as if you weren't already. Boy, this is a busy time of year. Good luck for a wonderful start of your summer. And wait just a minute. If you can't remember uh, my seventh summer, it's Eve Crane Dayton. She married a Dayton who uh, is also a great name in this valley and in Cokeville. And so maybe that'll help you remember Eve Crane. I could remember my seventh summer better than Eve Eve Crane Dayton. Dayton. (laughs) We'll see how you do. Anyway, thank you for listening. And we really appreciate being with you every time. But this time has been especially fun. We'll see you next time on Ours on the Road. Bye-bye.